0: We turn in Scripture to Numbers chapter 24. The text is Numbers 24, verses 17 through 19. We're continuing in our series of Christmas prophecies related to the wise men, and this evening we... Have a reference to the star of Jacob. And remember, the wise men saw that star in the east that told them of the birth of the king of the Jews. So that's how this prophecy leads us to Christmas with the wise men. We start at Numbers 23, verse uh, 27. Numbers 23, verse 27. And Balak said unto Balaam, Come, I pray thee, I will bring thee unto another place. Peradventure it will please God that thou mayest curse me, them, from thence. So King Balak is trying to get Balaam, the false prophet, to curse Israel. Um, And he's tried two times already. And now Balak is bringing him to another spot that he might try the third time. To curse God's people. Verse 28 And Balak brought Balaam unto the top of Peor that looketh toward Jeshemon. And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me here seven bullocks and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said, and offered a bullock and a ram on every altar. And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, He went not, as at other times, to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes, and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, He hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open, how goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel, as the valleys are they spread forth, as gardens by the river's side, as the trees of line, aloes, which the Lord hath planted "'and as cedar trees beside the waters. "'He shall pour the water out of his buckets, "'and his seed shall be in many waters, "'and his king shall be higher than Agag, "'and his kingdom shall be exalted. "'God brought him forth out of Egypt. "'He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. "'He shall eat up the nations his enemies, "'and shall break their bones, "'and pierce them through with his arrows.' He couched, he lay down as a lion, and as a great lion, who shall stir him up? Blessed is he that blesseth thee, and cursed is he that curseth thee. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he smote his hands together. And Balak said unto Balaam, I called thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times." Therefore now flee thou to thy place. I thought to promote thee unto great honor. But lo, the Lord hath kept thee back from honor. And Balaam said unto Balak, Spake I not also to thy messengers which thou sentest unto me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad of mine own mind. But what the Lord saith, that will I speak. And now behold, I go unto my people. Come therefore, and I will advertise thee what this people shall do to thy people in the latter days. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, So this is the fourth blessing. Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession, Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remaineth in the city, all the enemies that are incorrigible, all those who are... who. Keep resisting Israel. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be that he perish forever. And he looked on the Kenites and took up his parable and said, Strong is thy dwelling place, and thou puttest thy nest in a rock. Nevertheless, the Kenite shall be wasted until Asher shall carry thee away captive. And he took up his parable and said, Alas, who shall live when God doeth this? And ships shall come from the coast of Chittim, and shall afflict Asher, and shall afflict Eber, and he also shall perish forever. And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. So far we read, God's holy and infallible word. It will be profitable to keep our scriptures open to this passage. We're going to look at verses 17 all the way through the end of the chapter, but the text this evening is verses 17 through 19. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession, Seer also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. Beloved, in our Lord Jesus Christ, here in Numbers chapter 24, the children of Israel have just finished... There are 40 years of wilderness wanderings. They are about to enter into the promised land of Canaan. Just a few chapters earlier, in Numbers chapter 21, God had given Israel amazing victories over two mighty kings, Sihon the king of the Amorites and Og the king of Bashan. Two kingdoms on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And now here is Israel encamped on the plains of Moab on the eastern side of the Jordan River waiting for God to part the rivers and lead His people into the land of Canaan. However, during all this time, King Balak, the king of Moab, had been watching Israel and and was becoming afraid. He had seen Israel these wonderful victories that God had given Israel over the neighboring kingdoms of Bashan and and uh, of the Amorites and king Balak knew that if Israel and her God could so easily destroy these two kingdoms then Israel could also easily defeat Moab his kingdom which was right there and so what does king Balak do Well, he sends his messengers, he sends his elders far away to Mesopotamia to fetch the wicked prophet Balaam. He calls for this wicked prophet Balaam to come to Moab so that he might speak curses upon God's people, so that God might turn away from his people Israel and instead destroy Israel. Evidently, this false prophet Balaam had a reputation throughout the world for being able to effectively curse Israel. Enemy nations. And of course, Balak offers Balaam great riches as his reward. We read in 2 Peter 2 verse 15 that Balaam was one who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And so, Balaam uh, gladly goes to Moab in order to curse and, and get those promised riches. And yet, even as Balaam goes to Moab, God makes it perfectly clear that God is sovereign over all these events too. God even causes Balaam to go to Moab so that instead of speaking curses, Balaam might actually speak blessings upon God's people. And so maybe you know the story. Three different times, Balaam, the false prophet, prepares to curse God's people. But all three times, instead of a curse coming out of his mouth, God causes him to speak forth a blessing on Israel. In the first blessing, Balaam says that Israel shall dwell alone and be separate from all the people, and Israel will become a great nation who will have a glorious end. In the second blessing, Balaam says that God sees his people without any iniquity, without any sin, as righteous and innocent. Obviously, not righteous in themselves, but righteous in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Balaam says that God delights in his people, and Balaam says that they will have a king. In the third blessing, Balaam says that Israel shall be very prosperous, and her king shall be great, and her kingdom shall be exalted. And he says these blessings at a time when Israel didn't even have a king. He was supposed to be cursing Israel, and instead he ends up blessing Israel. And as we read, King Balak, the king of Moab, is furious with Balaam. But now, after this third blessing, we see that there's one more blessing that Balaam gives, and it seems that Balaam himself doesn't prepare for this blessing, Balak doesn't ask for it, but God simply causes this blessing to come out of Balaam's mouth. He puts Balaam in a trance-like state, and he causes this fourth blessing, a most beautiful prophecy, to be spoken from the mouth of this wicked, false prophet. And this fourth blessing that we look at in the preaching tonight is really the climax of all these prophecies. Gradually, these prophecies, if you look at them one by one, they gradually start talking about how Israel will have a king. And now in this fourth prophecy, Balaam describes the coming of this king and the great rule and power that this king would exercise over all the other nations. And then he speaks very strikingly of this king as a star the star of Jacob. That's the prophecy we look at this evening as we celebrate Jesus' birth in this Christmas season. We take as our theme, Jacob's star and the smiting of his enemies. This is another Christmas prophecy related to the wise men. We'll tie this in on Christmas Day. Jacob's star and the smiting of his enemies. We look at three things. First, we look at the amazing prophecy itself. Second, we look at the wonderful fulfillment And third, we look at the comforting significance. Last week, if you remember, we looked at Genesis 49, and we focused on the idea of a scepter. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. So we looked at that idea of a scepter. We understood what it means. We understand what it means. So in this passage, instead of looking at that word scepter, we're going to dwell on the idea of a star. We focus on this star, how it rises, and how this star conquers his enemies. We read in verse 17 I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. And we should understand this is Hebrew parallelism. A star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Hebrew parallelism, where the second phrase expands on the idea of the first phrase and and adds to it and builds on it. So the star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. These refer to the same idea. A star and a scepter referring to the same idea. But this is a very unique prophecy. A star shall arise out of Jacob. Why a star? What is a star? Well, it seems when you look at all the nations of the earth, it seems that almost every nation has this idea of referring to powerful people and those who have a high position as stars. And perhaps you can understand why. You look up in the night sky and you look at the stars and you see how glorious they are. Their exalted position. They are high above us. They are unreachable. They are beyond us. And not only that, not only are they highly exalted, but they are beautiful. And they can sometimes shine so bright. So stars are a picture of, of glory. Stars are pictures of glory. And in that connection, stars are also pictures of power and of rule. And that idea that has been used to speak of people, talking about people as stars. We even have that today. Think of basketball stars or hockey stars, or movie stars, right? We, we have that language today. Someone is a star, a rising star. And, and these are people who have great abilities in the, in the eyes of men. And that was the case in the ancient times as well. They spoke that way. We read of great men and great deliverers and great kings being spoken of as stars. And that's the idea here in Numbers 24. There shall come a star out of Jacob, a great man. Who is a king, a highly exalted king, glorious in majesty. He shall come out of Jacob and rule gloriously over his people. And if there's any doubt here that the word star is referring to a great person, remember the Hebrew parallelism. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A star and a scepter. It's talking here about a great king, a star, a royal star, rising out of Jacob. In fact, from history books, we learn that many Jews near the end of the Old Testament history had an expectation, this is kind of striking, many Jews had an expectation that when the King of Israel would be born, when the Messiah was born, there would be a special star that would signal His birth. Perhaps that expectation even came from Numbers 24, verse 17. Perhaps that Jewish expectation also explains a little bit how the wise men or why the wise men reacted the way that they did when they saw Christ's star in the sky. Remember what they said when they came to Herod in Jerusalem? They said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, God must have given those wise men special revelation so that they knew what the star meant, that star that they saw. There's really no other explanation for, for how they understood that star that they saw. Nevertheless, with that revelation, the wise men saw the star in the sky and they knew, they understood, it made sense to them that that star represented the birth of a king. So stars are symbols of kingly glory and great power and ability. That stars are symbols of kingly power and great ability and glory is also clear from other passages of Scripture. In fact, it's very interesting if you make a study of what Scripture says about stars and how it uses the symbolism of stars. For example, in the Scripture, angels are referred to as stars on multiple occasions. Job 38 verse 7, when the morning stars sang together, when God created Everything, the morning stars sang, the angels sang and rejoiced as they saw God's work of creation through the six days of the creation week. Think of Lucifer, the, the star that has fallen, or think in the book of Revelation, how uh, Satan has taken one-third of the stars with him in his fall. So stars in Scripture are, are used to represent angels because angels are glorious and angels are beautiful and powerful and and that's what a star is a picture of perhaps more in line with the text we notice that in scripture stars are also used to symbolize god's people this is somewhat indirect but in genesis 15 verse 5 remember when god calls abraham out of his tent in the middle of the night and god says abraham look at the stars and tell me if you can count the stars Because Abraham, that's what your seed will be like. Your seed will be as the stars in the sky for multitude. In Daniel 12 verse 3, we read that in heaven, God's people shall shine like the brightness of the stars. Daniel 12 verse 3, we will twinkle as the stars. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 41, we read that in the resurrection, God's elect will differ from one another in glory like the stars in heaven. And in Revelation 1 verse 20, ministers who faithfully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ are referred to as stars. They are symbolized by stars in the vision that John sees. So in Scripture, among other things, stars are pictures of God's people. And God's people are referred to as stars exactly because God makes them glorious And He elevates His people to an exalted position so that even now, we are sitting in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. He raises us to a position of glory and and beauty. He makes us kings. He makes us a royal priesthood. And God's people, in the beauty that God clothes them with, in the holiness that God clothes them with, they shine forth the beauty and majesty of their heavenly Father. In fact, in Matthew 13, verse 43... We read that in heaven, the righteous shall shine not just like the stars, but the righteous shall shine like the sun. So, very striking language here. Now, although God's people are compared to stars, here in Numbers 24, we have a reference to a special star. We read about the star, you might say. The star who will come from among God's people, he will come out of Jacob. He will be like the rest of God's people. You can even understand that as referring to the incarnation. Coming from the line of David, the tribe of Judah. He will come from Jacob. And yet He will at the same time be one who is entirely different from them as well. Because He will be a royal star. He will be the king of His people. The king of the stars, you might say. We read in verse 17, I shall see Him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This star, at the same time, will be a scepter. He will be a royal star. A star to rule all the stars. A star that outshines all others. To use the language of the Scripture, he will be the bright and morning star. According to Revelation 22, he will be the day star, According to 2 Peter chapter 1. And in Malachi 4, verse 2, he is not compared to just any star, but he's compared to the Sun, which also is a star. He is the Son of righteousness who rises. Just like the star of Jacob rises, so he is the Son of righteousness who rises with healing in his wings. That's who Jesus is. He is the star. And the text says: this glorious, exalted star rises. Balaam says he doesn't see this star yet. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. What that simply means is that in Balaam's day, he won't see this star in the flesh, but he's coming in the future. This prophecy has to do with the future. When will Balaam see the star? Well, perhaps for Balaam, he will see the star in the day of judgment. He will see the star. He will see the Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ. Well, that's the first half of this amazing prophecy. There will come, there will arise a star out of Jacob. But there's more to this amazing prophecy, and that is the rest. When this star comes, this star is going to conquer and destroy all of Jacob's enemies. And in the end, all enemies who oppose Jacob will be destroyed. That's the second half of the prophecy. In the second half of verse 17, we read, "...there shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheph." And then the prophecy goes on, and it really goes on all the way to the end of the chapter. In verses 18 and 19, we read that, "...Edom shall be a possession, and Seer shall be a possession." Verse 20, we read that Amalek also shall be destroyed and shall perish forever. In verses 21 and 22, the Kenites will be wasted and and in the end be taken captive by Asher. And in verses 23 and 24, we read that the ships from Chittim will come and afflict Asher and also afflict Eber, but then Chittim too shall be destroyed and perish forever. And the point of it all is this, as we read back in verse 19, Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remaineth in the city. So what all these verses are prophesying is simply this, all kingdoms except for Israel, except for Eber, and that word Eber is a reference to the Hebrews, Hebrew, Eber, that's where Israel comes from. Eber was one of their forefathers. All nations except for Israel shall perish forever, but the star, the scepter that comes out of Israel, His kingdom, will last forever. He will have the dominion, Israel will have the dominion, and all enemies will be destroyed. This prophecy really reminds me of what our young adults, and the young peoples as well, have been studying as we've gone through the book of Daniel and Daniel chapter 2. You have Nebuchadnezzar having that dream of that image the head of gold and then silver and then brass and then iron and iron and clay and then you have that stone cut without hands out of a mountain, rolling down and destroying that image. And that image is a representation of all the nations of the earth, the the Antichrist, the kingdoms of the earth. And that stone rolls down the hill and destroys all those kingdoms. And it's the same kind of idea here. Jesus Christ and His kingdom will destroy all the nations of the world. Well, that's generally The idea of these verses, but there's a lot of countries mentioned here, and I I want to look at these things in a little bit of detail because it's a little difficult for us to understand without looking into it a little more carefully. First, we read about Moab in the second half of verse 17. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. Now, Moab, of course, was where King Balak was from, who was trying to destroy Israel. So, so instead of Balak destroying Israel, Balaam's prophecy is that Israel will destroy Balak and Moab. Israel will destroy Moab. We read in verse 17, and shall smite the corners of Moab. And that means simply that the king of Israel will go from corner to corner and from side to side and he will smite the whole kingdom of Moab from one end to the other, from corner To corner, he will destroy Moab. We read also in verse seventeen, or yeah, verse seventeen, that uh, Israel and the king of Israel shall destroy the children of Sheth. Now it's unclear what that word Sheth is referring to, but it seems best to understand this word Sheth as a reference to Moab, as so that there's Hebrew parallelism going on here. Um, "...shall destroy the corners of Moab, and Sheth also shall be destroyed." It's, it's repeating itself. You have that in the next verse, um, where you have Hebrew parallelism very clearly. In verse 18, we read about Edom. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies. That is Hebrew parallelism. Edom and Seir are the same country. Edom is referring to the people. Edom comes from Esau. Esau. Uh, We all know who Esau is. And Seir is referring to the land itself. In fact, it's referring to Mount Seir or the the mountain range of Seir. This is the landscape of Edom. Edom and Seir. It's referring to the same idea. Edom was Israel's enemy and Edom shall be a possession. And then it goes on, verse 20. The Amalekites will be destroyed. They are referred to in verse 20 as the first of the nations. And that is the case because they were the first to attack Israel when Israel came from Egyptian bondage. When Israel was delivered, the first nation that attacked them was Amalek. Amalek was first, but their end shall be utter destruction. That's what their end will be, even though they were the first to attack. In verse 21, we have the Kenites mentioned. And these Kenites we can probably identify with the Midianites who lived right next to Moab and who were in league with Moab, and who also wanted Balaam to curse Israel. And these Kenites, they lived in the relative safety of the rocks and the mountainside, right? It says that. um, Strong is thy dwelling place, verse 21, and thou puttest thy nest in a rock. They lived in the wilderness, in the rocks, but they too will be destroyed. Verse 22, we read that they will be destroyed by Asher, and Asher here is probably a reference to Assyria, the great kingdom of Assyria, whose capital city was Nineveh. Assyria will come down and destroy the Midianites. And then in verse 24, you have the ships coming from the coast of Chittim, and they shall afflict Asher, and they shall afflict Eber, but then Chittim also shall perish. And, and that reference there to Chittim Chittim is a reference to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean Sea. But the reference here is not so much to the island of Cyprus itself, but it's a reference to what lies beyond Cyprus. To the Greek Empire and to the Roman Empire whose ships would come from that direction, from the coast of Chittim, from the coast of, of Cyprus. So what the prophecy in verse 24 is saying is this. The powers of Greece and the powers of Rome, far beyond Chittim, they will come and afflict Assyria and afflict Eber, and afflict the Hebrews, and afflict Israel. Ships from Greece and Rome will afflict Assyria and the Israelites, but in the end, Chittim also shall perish. And the point of all of this is, in the end, In the end, all the enemy nations of Israel shall perish. The king of Israel shall do valiantly, and he shall have dominion. Now, that is truly an amazing prophecy. Not only do we need to remember that this is coming from the mouth of the wicked prophet Balaam, that itself is striking, but this also is a prophecy that stretches all the way to the end of the Old Testament, where you have Greece and Rome, oppressing the nation of Israel. This is a prophecy that stretches far into the future. Again, it reminds me of the prophecies that we're looking at in the book of Daniel with the young adults, prophecies that look far into the future. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall utterly destroy all her enemies. And even though she will be afflicted by Greece, and afflicted by Rome, she will even withstand these attacks so that in the end in the end Israel shall do valiantly and have the dominion all her enemies shall perish well that is an amazing prophecy and it's an amazing prophecy that is wonderfully fulfilled fulfilled we understand that this prophecy was fulfilled first of all in a typical way during the king Uh, The the reign of King David. Just as we did last week with Genesis 49. And and we saw how that prophecy, the scepter of Judah, shall not depart until Shiloh come. and, And unto him shall the gathering of the nations be. And we applied that to King David's reign and Solomon's reign. We can do the same thing here. King David certainly was a star. He was a glorious figure that came from Jacob. He was that scepter that arose out of Israel. He was Israel's great and glorious king. And as David fought the battles of the Lord, he enjoyed great victories. He enjoyed having dominion over the enemies. David and his armies did valiantly, particularly over Moab and Edom. In 2 Samuel 8 verse 2, we read this about King David. And he smote Moab and measured them with a line. So so this is describing all of David's conquests as he's king fighting the enemies. And it says about Moab, And he smote Moab and measured them with a line, casting them down to the ground. Even with two lines measured he to put to death, and with one full line to keep alive. And so the Moabites became David's servants and brought gifts." So David completely conquered and suppressed the Moabites from one corner to the next corner. He conquered the Moabites. In Second Samuel 8 verse 14, we read this, And he, King David, put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom put he garrisons, and all they of Edom became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went so David is fulfilling this prophecy. He does valiantly against Moab, and he does valiantly against Edom and against Seir. He enjoys dominion over his enemies. This prophecy is certainly fulfilled, typically, in King David. And yet we also know at the same time that David's kingdom was only a type and a picture. We read soon enough in the Bible, after David is finished his work, the kingdoms of Edom and Moab rebel against Judah. And certainly when Balaam's prophecy talks here about the kingdom of Assyria and he makes allusions to the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, we understand that this prophecy is not fulfilled in David because these kingdoms didn't really exist in David's time. They came after David's kingdom. So this prophecy, of course, is, finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the star That comes out of Jacob. And Jesus is the scepter that rises out of Israel. Jesus is the bright and morning star. Jesus is the day star that arises in our hearts. Really throughout the whole Old Testament, Jesus is that star that is coming. And yet we also understand it's especially in His incarnation coming in His flesh that we see the star coming, especially in His birth in Bethlehem. And then you look at all the events of Jesus' life and you might say how he rises, how the star of Jacob rises. He rises from the lowest of horizons. There he is, born in the small town of Bethlehem, born on the edge of society in a cattle shed, born in obscurity. Born in Bethlehem, little among the thousands of Judah. We'll look at that Next time, Lord willing, and that prophecy. There he is born to Mary and Joseph. Yes, of the royal line of David, but who were Mary and Joseph at this time? But a poor and humble couple. There he is, born on the horizon. A little light, you might say, rising from the horizon. And the world doesn't even take notice. But then you see, as he starts rising, and rising. He's the ruler of Israel. He is the star of Jacob, and He rises. Because right away, even there on the horizon, what do you see happening? You see the wise men from the east who see His star. They see His star, and they know a star has been born. The King of the Jews has been born. Where is He? that is born King of the Jews, for we have seen His star. And I, I think that event is even recorded for us in the Bible so that we are left without any doubt as to what this prophecy in Numbers 24 is referring to. So that we are left without any doubt that that little babe born in Bethlehem is the star of Jacob because the wise men see His star. But then, as that star continues to grow, as the Christ child grows, we see that his star continues to rise. At 12 years old, where do you see him? But in the temple in Jerusalem, having deep conversations, asking and answering hard questions with the doctors, with the teachers. As he begins his public ministry, his star continues to rise By his many miracles, even by his speech, we see his power and his authority. The people even can't help but say, never man spake like this man. Even the week of his crucifixion, in his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and the people are singing and shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. We see his star rising, yet higher and higher, the star of Jacob. But then we come to the great sufferings at the end of that week the great sufferings that culminated in his crucifixion there he is the king of the jews the star of jacob being mocked and scourged and spat upon and there he is the star being nailed to the cross and there he is the star of jacob being enveloped in darkness through those 3 hours of darkness and it seems as if the star of jacob has had its bright has had its bright light completely extinguished and snuffed out you might say that this star of Jacob, who is shining so brightly, has now been completely eclipsed by the powers of darkness there on the cross. For there you have three hours of deep darkness, a thick blanket of darkness. And then what happens? The star of Jacob dies, and he's buried, and he's laid in the grave. The star of Jacob. The scepter of Israel, how can it be? But then Easter Sunday morning comes, and you see the wonder of it all. The star of Jacob bursts forth from the grave, and that star rises brightly. He rises and he shines like he has never shined before, because he rises yet higher to the state of exaltation and the state of glory. And then you start to understand the only reason that star endured such horrible darkness on the cross was because that star, that bright shining sun of a star was doing battle against the enemies. The enemies of darkness conquering and destroying his enemies he was. Waging warfare against the foes of darkness, not just against Moab and against Edom and against Amalek Amalek and against the Kenites, but against the enemies of which all those nations were but the types and shadows, the enemies of sin and death and darkness and Satan. And this star of Jacob has done valiantly. He is the one who crushed his enemies and who has defeated them all. All his enemies and your enemies. So that they must in the end all perish. And then you see that he rises. Then this star of Jacob rises. He rises in his ascension. And he rises even more. He shines even brightly. More brightly. As he sits enthroned at the right hand of God. And he is given dominion. And he is given a scepter. And he is given possession of all the earth. And he sends forth his spirit to gather his elect people. As we read in Psalm 110, as we're going to sing, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion, Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. He does valiantly, and he shines brightly as the light of the world. And he is the one who casts out the darkness from the souls of his elect people. And he is the one who builds up his kingdom of light as the gospel of light is preached to all the ends of the world. That's the star of Jacob rising. And then when he's finished gathering his elect people, then we know that that star of Jacob will rise yet once more because He's going to come again and He's going to realize the perfect victory He has obtained over all His and our enemies. The prince of this world will be cast out into utter darkness. All the enemies of the star of Jacob will perish, and you and me and all the citizens of the kingdom of Christ in the last day. We will rise with soul and body and Christ will roll up the earth and the heavens as a scroll and He will make all things new. And then to use the language of Daniel 12, verse 13, in the new heavens and new earth, we will shine with Him in glory as the stars of heaven. And all things will be under the perfect and gracious dominion and rule of the star of Jacob. That, beloved, is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Numbers 24. It's an amazing prophecy. And it has a wonderful, glorious fulfillment. Well, in this prophecy, there's also a comforting significance for God's people. We already sense that. We understand because this, this star is our king. But let me point out just three ways in which this prophecy in Numbers 24 comforts us. First, at the end of verse 18, we read, Israel shall do valiantly. And what that means is this you and I, the church, the Israel of God, the church, shall do valiantly. For we know that Christ's triumph and Christ's victory over death and darkness, that's our triumph and that's our victory. Through faith, we share in the victory of our King, Jesus Christ. And already now, you and I, as we live in this world, we're not just part of the church militant doing battle against sin and darkness, but already now we're part of the church triumphant. As we Enjoy the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. And we enjoy who we are as more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And that's a comfort for us all. In all our struggles and our trials and all of life's stresses and life's temptations. We know that in Christ, Israel shall do valiantly. We shall go forth conquering and to conquer In our battles against sin and Satan, we need to know, beloved, we already have the victory in Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors, not just because we have the victory, but even the battlefield has been so arranged and designed so that it's all working for us. We're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors. Everything is serving our good on the battlefield. That's what it means. Christ is working all things together for good to them who are His. Second, the comfort is this, our King Jesus, who is our star, as our star, He also guides us. He is the star, our star. You might even say like the polar star in the midst of the darkness of this world. Zacharias, Uh, remember Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, he spoke of these same things in in Luke chapter 1. I almost had us Sing the, the song of Zechariah, because it talks there about the star, the day star, Jesus Christ. Zechariah saying these words, Through the tender mercy of our God, the day spring, that, that is the morning star, which, which is Jesus, the sun of righteousness, the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, To guide our feet into the way of peace. So Jesus is our dayspring. He is our morning star. And he is the one who guides our feet into the way of peace. That's comfort for us. You need guidance in this life? Look to the star of Jacob. And then third, the comfort is this. He is the star who gives us hope. That's what the star does too. The star gives hope. Because he's not just the royal star, but as Scripture says, He's the bright and morning star. He's the star that rises on the horizon that gives hope of a new day. A new and brighter day is on the horizon. This will be the day where there will be no end to the day. There will be no night. But this will be the day where you and I will even shine as the sun. We will be given crowns of glory. We will be given scepters and we will be given to rule with Jesus in heavenly glory. And as Daniel says, we will shine as the stars in glory. And He will be our King forever, and we will serve Him perfectly. Look to that morning star, that star that promises that a new day is on the horizon. This is a beautiful prophecy, beloved. And this is exactly what you and I celebrate in this Christmas season. The birth of the King, the star out of Jacob so that we have victory over darkness and sin. Oh, the prophet Balaam, he did not rejoice in this prophecy. He knew the words so well. They came out of his own mouth. But he was not given the faith to embrace this star as his king. Blessed are you, beloved. Blessed are you in this Christmas season. Blessed are you who have been given to hear of the birth of the royal star in Bethlehem. And blessed are you who have been given the faith to believe that this little babe in Bethlehem is your king. And blessed are you who, like the wise men, come to Bethlehem to give him your gifts and give him your worship. In this Christmas season, rejoice in the birth of your king. Rejoice in the birth of the royal star of Jacob. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for these deep and rich prophecies that are so amazingly fulfilled. Lord, strengthen our faith that we might see clearly how Scripture is Thy Word and Thy Word alone. And we pray that in this Christmas season, we might rejoice in the birth of the star of Jacob, and we might enjoy that in Him we have victory and we shall do valiantly. And He is the one who gives us light and who guides us on our way. And He is the one who gives us that hope, that encouragement of the dawn of a new day. Lord, what blessings we enjoy in this Christmas season. Use this preaching to shape our hearts and shape our lives that we might rejoice truly in the birth of Thy Son, our King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.